This is moral of the story. Interesting people telling their favorite short stories and then breaking them down to understand what makes them so good. I'm your host, Max Chapovsky. On today's episode, we have Maysoon Zaid. I'm going to introduce you the way you described yourself in an interview back in the day, a Palestinian Muslim with cerebral palsy from New Jersey, who is an actress, comedian, and activist. As if all of that is not enough, Maysoon is also the co-founder of the New York Arab American Comedy Festival and the Muslim Funny Fest, and TED Speaker, most viewed talk of 2014, I might add, and up to, I think, 15 million views now. But wait, there's more. Maysoon <laughs> co-starred with Adam Sandler in You Don't Mess With the Zohan, and after much hustle, is finally a recurring character on General Hospital. She's also the author of the best-selling memoir, Find Another Dream, and the creator of the Book of Bay Ann children's graphic novel series. And most importantly, she will forever be the cat mom to Beyonce the cat. May she <laughs> rest in peace. MZ, you are an inspiration. Welcome to the show. Max, I'm so excited to see you. That was a great, astounding um, intro. Thanks, Omi. It's all true. It's all yeah. true. Let's start with the sad news. Moment of silence for Beyonce the cat. Pour one out. Pour one out. Now the good news. Yes. Your pilot got picked up. Tell me about it real quick. Uh, okay, so my pilot didn't get picked up, which was fun. Um, but it's it's in the process. So I have... I'm going to make this really quick because it's hard to make quick. I have three projects right now that are in production, but don't have networks yet. So the network is the pickup part. So I'm working on a docu-series with Film 45 called Welcome to the Disco. It's like Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations, but instead of eating food, I eat disabled people. And then I'm <laughs> working on a, a Lifetime Christmas movie, which is a Muslim Christmas movie because... Muslims love Christmas. And then I'm working on a road trip chick flick uh, called Route 99 that's set the week between Christmas and New Year's 1999 going into 2000. All three of the pictures have uh, shopping deals. All three have producers, but we don't have networks yet. Okay. Set the stage for the story. Anything that we should know before we get into it. Okay. So like, first of all, you set the stage pretty well by saying that I had the most viewed TED Talk of 2014. So I'm basically like the most kick-ass storyteller. But, and this is part of my five-minute story. But when you invited me on the show, it was really, really hard to pick which story to tell. Because, of course, the first story I want to tell is the story of, you know, Maysoon and Max. Because we met in Aspen, Colorado, at a contact magazine convention, I was the entertainment. I still have no idea what you were doing. I think just drinking. But um, you and I met and we had one of those like completely platonic version of that movie before sunrise where we kind of spent the next like 36 hours together every single waking minute of the day. <laughs> I was like, Max, come get me for breakfast. Max, let's walk around Aspen and buy illicit drugs. Max. Make sure that I don't miss my show. Max, take pictures of me. So like I was, I have thought of that Aspen weekend a lot because you were like literally my best friend for 36 hours and then you were just gone. And now you have two children. I'm really excited about that. I'm back. Um, so that was one story that I thought of telling. And then the other story I thought of telling 
was when I met Dave Matthews. But then I was like, oh, that's not really relatable to like meet a rock star and have him become your best friend. But it was a fun story because I passed out cold, but we're not gonna tell um, that one either. And then the final story I thought was like, what if I just do an entire five minute eulogy to Beyonce? But I thought the blubbering and the gasping for air might make it uncomfortable for your audience. (laughs) So I'm going with the story that defined who I am today, the work that I do today, and like pretty much gets me up to fight the good fight every day. So I was born in Jersey and the doctor who delivered me was drunk. As a result, I have cerebral palsy. It's a neurological disorder. It's different in everyone. Um, Some of us are nonverbal. Some of us are wheelchair users. In my case, I shake all the time. Um, And my parents, when I was growing up, couldn't afford physical therapy. So instead, they sent me a tap class. Now, I'm born and raised in Jersey, which means I'm like a stone's throw because I'm Palestinian and we like to throw stones. I'm like a stone's throw from... Times Square and Broadway. So not only do I grow up tap dancing, but I grow up tap dancing right next door to Broadway. I'm getting standing ovations every time. And I have no idea that I'm getting standing ovations because I'm the inspirational disabled kid dancing because there's no social media. So like people weren't putting up clips. They weren't going viral. People on Twitter weren't like, oh my God, I watched the cripple tapping 20 times and someone's chopping onions. So I thought that I was the greatest dancer who ever lived. And at five years old, my dream in life was to dance on Broadway. So I go to this dancer's convention on Broadway when I'm 12 years old and we're in this giant room and they're treating us like it's the chorus line. So you've got all these Broadway divas and they're dancing and they're teaching us a routine and we're dancing along. And then we finish and we all sit around and the Broadway divas go around the room and they ask everybody, what's your dream? And the girl before me is like, I want to be a unicorn. And Broadway Diva's like, you go, girl, dream big. And then she gets to me and I say, I want to tap dance with Savion Glover and bring in the noise, bring in the funk, which was a Broadway show that the extraordinary tap dancer Savion Glover was in. And the diva looked at me. It was a guy. And he said, girl, you are a cripple. Find another dream. So I did. And that dream was to be on General Hospital. I pursued that dream by going to Arizona State University for college. Why ASU? Because I was born during affirmative action and I got this like mega scholarship. They like paid me cash to go. I graduated with like 24 grand in my pocket and a bunch of slinkies that I got applying for credit cards. So I go to ASU and I'm a theater major and everybody loves me. All the professors love me. All my fellow students love me. I'm getting A's in all my classes. I'm getting A's in all my classmates' classes. They were actors. They need me. But I wasn't getting cast in anything. Um, And I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, okay, if I'm getting A's in Shakespeare, how am I unable to play like diner number three in the school play? So my senior year, everything changes. 
Arizona State decides to do a show called They Dance Real Slow in Jackson. It's about a girl with cerebral palsy. I'm a girl with cerebral palsy, so I'm like, free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty, I'm free at last. I don't get the part. Sherry Brown gets the part. I don't even change her name. So I go running. Well, I don't run. I go limping quickly to the head of the theater department, whose name was Jean Thompson. And I said, can you explain to me how I didn't get a part that I was literally born to play. And she said, you can't do the stunts. And I said, if I can't do the stunts, neither can the fucking character. And she said, get the fuck out of my office. And I did. So in that moment, I learned that college was imitating Hollywood and that Hollywood had a sordid history of casting non-disabled actors to play disabled on screen. We're 20% of the population. Only 2% of the images you see on screen, now I have 95% played by non-disabled actors. So I will end my story by saying this. If a wheelchair user can't play Beyonce, then Beyonce can't play a wheelchair user. The end. Damn right. <laughs> okay. I have two questions. Yes. Did you ever track down that diva that told you that you're a cripple, pick another dream. Yes, and he's dead. And I did tap dance on Broadway in 2010 and 2014. Okay, so you won that one. And I did not kill him. Because <laughs> I'm not that kind of Arab. But I'm pumped. And, and if you did, then you certainly wouldn't admit it right now. No, I would because I feel like it makes me less guilty looking like they would be like she wouldn't be like i didn't kill him if she had shoved him you know down into an orchestra pit yeah you wouldn't break the story on the podcast i probably would actually <laughs> <laughs> but that they wouldn't think that you would so they wouldn't they wouldn't go after you you see hand drawing a hand <laughs> that's what i'm saying all right <laughs> this is so deep second question did you find that theater teacher at ASU. So much better than finding her. 20 years now. I'm not that old. Uh, some years later. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I can't do the math because I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> In 2016, Arizona State University hired me as a guest comedian in residence. And I got to teach in the same department as her and she had to like be super nice to me and tried to kind of take a little credit for who I am as an actor that like she toughened me up and then she ended up leaving ASU while I was still there <laughs> yes and now I'm at Princeton do you know what you should have done at ASU once she knew that you were going to be there you should have called her into like your green room or wherever you were getting ready. You should have been like, hey, I just want to catch up with you on, you know, like kind of what I've been doing. But it would all be a ruse just so that while she's sitting there, you could be like, get the fuck out of my office. Oh, I did the classic. It was so unoriginal. I did the Julia Roberts uh, big mistake. So the theater department is on the second floor of this gorgeous building at Arizona State University. And I marched up the stairs and I knew exactly where her office was because I checked like the names before I did. And I walked through the, the hallway of the theater department and I knew I would say about 50% of the teachers, 50% had no idea who I was and why I was being so dramatic. But I walked through the hallway and I was like, 
I'm back. And then I got to her door and I went, big mistake, huge. Yes. And then I turned around and walked out. And I was like, Mr. Keating from Dead Poets Society when I taught at ASU without the suicide student, um, which is not funny, but no one died, thank God. But anyway, I was one of those teachers where my students worshipped me. So like I knew it got back to her that I was like super beloved and put on like the best show. Um, yeah. And she, she actually left ASU while I was, was still teaching there. And now I'm taking my, my teaching skills to Princeton in the fall. Yes. Congratulations. Because I have 87 jobs. I'm on General Hospital. So that dream came true. I'm a full time stand up comic. And I'm touring like double what I was in the before time because now that I can do stuff virtually, I can have like a show in Arizona in real life and then Dubai at night virtually. Um, and then I'm writing movies, uh, children's books and, uh, and TV shows. And what do you do, Max? You sit, you breed. And you talk. This isn't about me, MZ. This one's not about me. (laughs) It's always about you. Always. I'll talk your ear off another time. Here's what I want to know. This will be our next virtual hangout and you can grill me. But right now I'm grilling you. What is the moral of that story that you told? The moral of the story is threefold. One, um, people are always going to tell you no. And you can't take that as an actual no. Okay, that's the worst advice I've ever given anyone. I am not talking about sex or touching people. So let me start over. When you're pursuing your dream, a lot of people will tell you that that dream is impossible. Those people need to be ignored and you need to still pursue it. So like I told that diva, I wanted to tap dance on stage. He told me I was a cripple and I couldn't. 2010, I was tap dancing on the stage in town hall. If I had let a random stranger who had met me once dash my dreams with one sentence, I wouldn't be here right now with you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gotten the gig that made me meet you in Aspen. I wouldn't have gotten on that stage. And I think the bigger picture of that one sentence from that one guy is letting people bully you in school, letting people troll you online, letting absolute strangers tear you down and convince you that you cannot do what you dream. The reason that I told, you know, this story specifically is because when I say I did find another dream, it was even bigger to be on General Hospital. It wasn't letting them take me back. But that's the other part of why I told that story. It's the name of my memoir, Shameless Plug, um, Find Another Dream. I think a lot of people think that if your dream doesn't come true, you're just fucked and there's nothing. And I think that if your dream turns into a nightmare, you find another dream. So like if your dream was to be a tap dancer and you had an unbelievable back injury and you couldn't find a way to still tap dance, you don't just say, I'm never going to achieve my dream. I'm never going to achieve my goal. I have nothing to live for. You say, what's the next dream? You know? And so like for me, I dreamt of being on general hospital. Well, I got on general hospital. What was the next dream? Do I just stop? No. 
So if it turns into a nightmare, find another dream. If your dream comes true, find another dream. And you just keep dreaming and dreaming and dreaming until lights down you up and die and you don't even know it didn't come true. That's right. <laughs> so that's why I told that. Okay. So in my mind, comedians are the ultimate storytellers because the you best. test the best, right? Because yeah. you come up with material that is um, a an observation of life that some other that most other people would not be able to make and then you can mold it into a story this material that you test <laughs> on your audiences and you tweak it right based on that feedback loop yeah so yeah. you're the ultimate storyteller as a comedian so if you think of some of the best stories that you've heard uh, what makes a good story believability and so many of mine are just straight up lies. The one that I told you was true because I wanted to tell you a true story, but I, I, I'm, divor I'm divorced now. My marriage completely failed, um, which was good because I'm not meant to be married or talk to anyone every single day. But um, I used to do a joke about how I met my husband and I would say um, I went to Gaza and the reason I went to Gaza is because they have no place to run. And I do a whole story about how I frame my passport in a gold frame and walk through a refugee camp saying, do you want a visa, baby? And he was like, yeah. And I say, pack up your stuff, let's go. And he says, I have no stuff. And that entire story is bullshit. Never happened. And like, I made that story up because I had to get on stage uh, June, uh, sorry, January 6, 2009. And Israel was bombing Gaza. 500 civilians had died and I had to do a comedy show. And I was like, how do I get on stage in the middle of a massacre? This is horrifying. And I said to myself, like, how can I make a joke about Gaza that makes people who know nothing know what's going on? And I thought catching a boy in Gaza because they have no place to run. So the message was like, they don't have any place to run. Um, so my audience believed it. And to this day, people are like, so what family from Gaza is your husband from? I'm like, he's not from Gaza and I'm a bad person. Um, so I think believability is number one. Number two, you gotta know your audience. Like when I go into a corporate gig, the way that I talk to them is not the way that I talk to people when I'm sitting, you know, on stage at a disability conference or if I'm, you know, doing like the Gotham Comedy Club at two o'clock in the morning it's not the same as what I'm delivering for Joe Biden's uh, Arab American inclusivity team, you know? So you have to know who your audience is. Three, you have to take responsibility. I think like, if you tell a shitty story, people can't follow your story or people are bored. It's not because they're not listening. It's because you didn't make them listen. And so like, that's the final key is being so interesting that the people can't stop listening even if they want to. And think about like what a challenge that is in the digital world where we can be distracted at all times. Like you can be looking at me right now and you look like you're paying attention, but I have no idea what's on the screen in front of you. I can't see your hands and you might be playing, you know, nuke them and make them glow. So like the ability to make people listen when there's so many reasons not to is the, the final key of storytelling. And um, one more just bonus disclaimer. <laughs> my word is my bond. Don't steal other people's shit. 
don't retell other people's stories as your own. Uh, sorry, what were you saying? I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> that was perfectly timed. You're good. I'm giving you a role in my lifetime Christmas movie. Mary, Muslim, Mary. <laughs> Is there going to be a Jew in there? Obviously. Oh, good. Well, then I can do that. So I'm working on another movie that I haven't sold yet. Next year, Ramadan, Easter, and Passover all overlap. Oh, snap. Yeah. This is a good chance the world ends in that moment. Well, we better achieve our dreams before then. <laughs> but, like, but you won't know if you didn't. <laughs> anyway. That's right. Just do your best up until then. Break your dreams into really small bites, too. This is just like a random like thing that I'm throwing in with all my dream stuff. Make it like you have to make it bite size. So if your dream is like, I'm going to climb to the top of Kilimanjaro and you've never walked up a hill, like get your ass up the first hill, like break it down into sections. Try walking up the stairs first. Yeah. If you can't walk, roll. Or, or take an elevator, but there aren't any of those. <laughs> You're not really going to be helping your conditioning in that case. But again, that's the find another dream, right? If you can't take the stairs, find a ramp. If there's not a ramp, find an elevator. If there's no elevator, sue the architect for not making this shit accessible in 2021. And then use the proceeds to take a helicopter to the roof and come down. Exactly. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Make a hell of a team. We are such a good team. I feel like we need an actual TV show like the new Regis and Kelly. Kelly we would be just not oh my god can you can you imagine that um a palestinian muslim and a jew talking about like well pretty much anything it'd be like a call-in show well we have a lot of stuff it's like you know a jew and a muslim midwest east coast ginger kardashian man woman (laughs) father child free you know i mean we're yin and yang. We need to get some money behind this thing. Totally. Totally. <laughs> See, every fucking day I'm hustling. I can't stop. I just hustle. My mother would time. listen to it and my grandmother. So I, I guarantee you I could bring an audience of two, but they're going to be fire and very, very involved. I am really excited about having a Jewish mom and grandma judging me. I feel good about it. <laughs> oh, Mason, they judge everybody. They judge everybody. I know, but that's why I want it. I want to be judged by the best. <laughs> professional judges? Yeah, professional judges. What I'm trying to figure out right now is if I should cut this whole section out of the podcast. Maxie May? Because my parents are coming from my daughter's birthday, and I just have a feeling that the conversation will revolve around this. <laughs> why are you saying? Why are you saying I judge people? Why are you saying? Why are you saying I'm judgmental? I feel like you're judging. All right, so let me let me ask you this. How do you use storytelling in your life? Personal, professional, whatever it is. How do you use storytelling? I use it to make mad cash. Best advice ever. I use storytelling to make a lot of money so that I have more stories to tell. I'm dead serious. Like, I'm such a mercenary, Max. (laughs) I really only just talk if people pay me to or they're you. Um, Number one, I do it for the Benjamins, baby. Number two... Um, right now, I think that positive representations of, of disability could possibly save lives because I grew up super, super privileged and my parents didn't think I was a burden. My friends didn't bully me. 
Um, I wasn't taken advantage of by like grifters and, and predators. And as I became um, a public speaker and really had a worldwide reach with the TED Talk because it was translated into 47 languages, I found out that like in the United States of America, 50% of all people killed by law enforcement are disabled. Um, in the United States of America, we have a day of mourning for people with disabilities who have been murdered by their parents and caretakers. We have, you know, kids committing suicide at 12 and 13 because they're bullied mercilessly at school for their disabilities, whether invisible or visible. And I realized that I could use my comedy to talk about disability in a way that I had never heard it talk about, which is like, it's just like part of my life, you know, like when we were in Aspen, I was like, Max, find me a straw. And you're like, these people are environmentally conscious. And I'm like, Max, build me a straw. <laughs> like it's with the way that we talk about disability is threefold. People would rather be dead than disabled. People don't find disability sexy. They don't want to date a disabled person. It's not their dream boy. And as charity, Charity in the positive and the negative. The negative of charity is like, we're such a drain on the system. It costs so much money to keep us alive. Or charity like, look at that adorable boy in the Shriners commercial who says that he's broken 200 bones. Take all of my money. Because like every time that kid says he's broken 200 bones, I give him $100. And I'm like not even a sucker for this stuff. And I wanted the conversation to be like, yeah, I'm disabled and I deserve equality. I'm disabled and I, you know, got married and divorced just like anyone else. We can be parents. We can fall in love. We can be teachers. And I don't think society looks at us that way. So by talking about disability, which people fear and which people dread and which people are kind of grossed out by sometimes in a funny, palatable way, I think it humanizes disabled people so that the next interaction they have that's not with me, they might behave differently. I'm going to give you an imaginary mic and I want you to drop it. <laughs> well, I'm palsy. I drop shit all the time. <laughs> well played. That does it. <laughs> Maysoon, Zaid, I'm just going to call you a powerhouse, okay? I'm just going to do that. Thank you for being on the show. I'm wearing my Eagle Fang Karate shirt, so that's perfect. But you're a powerhouse regardless of what shirt you wear. It doesn't matter. To me, you'll always be a powerhouse. For Maysoon's full bio, links to what we talked about, including her 15 million view strong TED Talk, and then some, head over to mosspod.org. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast on. This was Moral of the Story. I'm Max Trapofsky. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. This? <laughs> what? <laughs> Can we even get, we get past the first word? All right. <laughs>